Oh, yeah. My yeah. brother tasked me to go buy some Yeezys. Okay. <laughs> um, hey, do you have um, the Yeezys? Is that how the kids pronounce it these days? Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting here on the Big Talker 106.7 FM every single Saturday at 10 a.m. out of Wilmington, North Carolina. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, coming to you from the Imperial City of Vienna, Austria. I'm backlanded here and I have my co-host on the mic with me joining from Toronto, Ontario, David Clement. David, how goes it? Uh, it's going. It's going all right. Uh, another week, another great show. Um I can't say things are looking too good in terms of the COVID uh, trajectory, um, which is very depressing considering the fact that we are, winter is fast approaching. Um, The the prime minister basically told Canadians that uh, any chance of being together for Thanksgiving is pretty much gone, but maybe we can get Christmas. So uh, that's about as depressing as it gets. (laughs) That's not sounding good at all, and no. uh, not a not a fun time <laughs> to be thinking about the future. Uh, believe me, plenty of stuff that I've had to cancel or reschedule that, that are not fun. But you know, we think positive on this program, and uh, that's why we'll actually be speaking with Sarah Ald a bit later. She's host of the Sarah Ald Show, also on this station, the Big Talker. Uh, she's on Fridays at six p.m., and we have a great conversation about her new pro- nonprofit that she launched which focuses a lot on really health and wellness and trying to get people off government assistance and a lot of coaching and mental training. Uh, she's got some, some great insights, and we talk a lot about you know alternatives to government assistance and ways to motivate people. So very good conversation there. Uh, she normally has her, her weekly program that goes out, but uh, thankfully we're able to chat after uh, I was in the Wilmington studio uh, just last week, and then I got her on the program. So... That'll be fun. Look for that. If you want to go back and listen to any of our previous interviews, you can go to consumerchoiceradio.com. We also have this radio show that goes out to Spotify as a podcast, goes out to the Apple Store as a podcast, goes out to anywhere, really. And uh, we got the YouTube version if you want to see um, the pretty faces of our guests, not us, because that ain't happening. But for our guests, we always do put those uh, interviews also on YouTube, and hello to all the new subscribers and listeners. Uh, there actually were a surge of subscriptions thanks to our conversation with Florida State Senator Jeffrey Brandis last week. So it was a, it was a great time. So thanks uh, for being here, and um, mm-hmm. I think I would I would be remiss if uh, we did not mention one big news piece of news this week, uh, somewhat related to some of our projects and things we've done in the past. Uh, this is the grand jury indictment mm-hmm. uh, for the officer, one of the officers involved in the uh, horrific and fatal shooting of Brianna Taylor, who was in her home and uh, shot at by police um, while they were serving a no-knock warrant or, or something related to that. They were looking for some kind of drug dealer's home. It was actually the wrong house. She ended up dying. And uh, this has been a, a big fixture in many of the social justice protests. And you've probably already heard of this or you will be hearing about it. So I know that they have already declared a kind of state of emergency and uh, making sure that the riots can somehow be policed, which I don't know if that's going to happen. 
but it brings us right back to the topic of criminal justice reform, justice reform, the courts, uh, the role of, of justice in the first place. And uh, David, I don't know if um, you know how much you've thought about this, or I mean, we've definitely discussed it in the past, but it really is bringing a lot of these issues to the fore once more. Yeah, so, I mean, <clears throat> there's a couple things. First, let's stop arresting people or trying to arrest people for drugs. Um, just, uh, the, I mean, the thought that you go in guns blazing because someone apparently has um, let's say a type of plant you don't like in their house is really the core of where things went south here. Um, in terms of the grand jury, I mean, I'm no legal expert, but it does feel very weird to me that there wouldn't be enough evidence to go to trial. And I'm speaking anecdotally, as, as are most people, because nobody has complete information here because the grand jury, uh, the evidence that was pre presented to the grand jury is not what is necessarily presented to the public. Um, but it just seems strange to me that the only person who the grand jury has said that, 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 uh, that charges should be laid is the one officer, but it has nothing to do with actually killing Breonna Taylor. It's about an endangerment um, charge because bullets were fired that had, that then ended up in other apartments. Um, so basically like reckless use of a firearm. That's not the right legal term, but for listeners yeah, a, to get a picture. endangerment was yeah. the, uh, the term. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't understand how this wouldn't go to trial. There are all sorts of questions about whether or not they um, identified themselves at the door the vast majority, I think there's one witness who said originally that they didn't identify themselves and then recanted and said they did. But there's another 10 eyewitnesses who've said that they didn't identify themselves and that this actually was a no-knock uh, warrant. Uh, so it just, it, I mean, what a perfect storm of injustice all wrapped up into one tragedy. Um, yeah, and obviously and this, people are upset. Yeah, and this goes to show that there are so many complex things that go into every single one of these stories, uh, which are tragedies, and it's hard for people to know how to react. And, you know, we see that every single one of these police-involved shootings and killings, you know, this becomes national headline news every time there is one now, and there are so many different opinions and commentaries and you're right, David, we don't have all the facts necessarily. We don't have those in front of us. I mean, hearing about the witnesses and apparently the one witness who said they did announce themselves is apparently very reliable. I don't know. Look, the main topic of concern or the main issue that I hope people will focus on, I don't know if they are right now, is just the, you know, the, the police power in our country and the amount of, of sheer force that they're able to use and dispense uh, many times without accountability. Uh, one article that I had written, and uh, this is in the Miami Herald, and I know you've uh, written about this as well, David, is about qualified immunity, the idea that people who are acting on behalf of the government in some certain way are somehow have a shield against lawsuits against them, so you can't sue them if they do something that takes away your rights. 
uh, which is totally wrong and backwards and bogus, and we don't need this in 2020. I know that Justin Amash, who's a representative in the House, he's actually put forward a bill on this, and he's partnered with many progressive legislators. It still has never been heard, as far as I know. There's been no movement on this. Uh, there's a lot of talk of, of racial justice, a lot of talk of police reform, but the, the bills that are kind of already there and you know can have some muster are not really being heard. I don't know if this will give renewed sense to that. Even Senator Rand Paul has uh, introduced his own mm-hmm. Breonna Taylor Act on no-knock warrants. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's going to mean that the, you know this kind of—I'm I'm predicting unrest. Uh, there's a lot of videos that some of you might have seen of— you know, my old town, St. Petersburg, Florida, people flipping over tables and stuff happening in Dallas. And the, mm-hmm. you know, this is uh, it's not going to be good the next couple of days. No. And, and according to some reports, uh, although I, I don't know the specifics yet, two police officers have been shot in riots in Louisville. Um, so, I mean, it's still unclear all of the details. And I, I don't want to provide some sort of hot take on that before we actually know what's what's going on but yeah super depressing um i mean the only the only good that can come from this outcome is that maybe congress gets the kick in the pants they need to make the structural change on qualified immunity um because it just this just strikes me as is a a gross miscarriage of justice um but yeah, that's uh, there's not too much else to say about about that other than just how tragic it is. Yeah, definitely had to mention it though. Um, it's definitely going to be a topic of concern in the next week or two. Um, so we'll go ahead and start talking about it now because otherwise, yeah, yeah, he's going to get lost in the on storm. A, but uh, yeah, on a on a much lighter note, um, a much lighter note. Did you Yael see which big name? is officially getting into NASCAR. You know, I kind of did. Um, I saw this is the man that we know online as Jumpman23. Some of you may know him as Michael Jordan. Yes. Right, that's effective pause. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this is the, <laughs> this is the news uh, from the, the sports world, and this is awesome for North Carolina where this program mm-hmm. is broadcast out of. Um, a native son of, of North Carolina, Michael Jordan. He's going to be investing in a NASCAR team uh, with Denny Hamlin, who's a current driver, um, someone who is actually like super high in the points and might win the championship. Who knows? Uh, but they're partnering up, and uh, their driver will be Bubba Wallace. Yeah. And uh, this is uh, interesting in the sports world to see all of this stuff kind of colliding. Bubba Wallace is someone who's gotten a little bit into the uh, social justice realm uh, with some of his statements and things that he's worn, and he's got a, a pretty tight connection with Lewis Hamilton of the F1, mm-hmm. and uh, it's cool. I mean, it's it's cool to see. I mean, MJ and NASCAR. Apparently, he's a big fan. That's what he told uh, Dale Jr. in an interview not long ago, but interesting to see the, uh, the tides changing on that, and uh, NASCAR, one of the only major sports that's going out there with fewer restrictions, I'd say, than, than many of these others that actually does allow fans. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's really good for the sport. Uh, I think it's, yeah, really, really good for the sport. I mean, I'm always intrigued by everything Michael Jordan does because he doesn't need to do anything. That guy makes like a billion dollars a year. He, I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard about his like daily routine, 
but it okay, is. I'm, I'm assuming you're hit with jealousy over this. It is. I am quite envious. I so he plays golf every day. I would love to play golf every day, and he was asked about his golfing, and they were like, "So you golf every day?" He's like, "Yeah, of course." And they say, "Okay, so what do you play? 18 holes every day?" And he's like, "Nah, at least 36." So he's playing uh-huh. two rounds a day. Just imagine being able to play two rounds of golf a day. You're hanging out. You're outside. And he also does like uh, like to occasionally dabble in the odd uh, high stakes wager on the golf course. So I'm sure golfing with him uh, is is quite entertaining from at least just six holes just that perspective i would need three scorecards to count up all the strokes but (laughs) uh apparently uh him and denny hamlin the driver they also had a good relationship on the golf course so yes uh, a lot of wheeling and dealing done there yeah hey that's cool look this is the on you know michael jordan as he said immensely wealthy dude i think the report that i saw is like i think two or three billion dollars in his net worth has come like directly from nike Something like this? Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know if that's 100% I, accurate. I want to say his like residual payments on the shoes is like $100 million a year. Easy. And actually, what's interesting, an interesting consumer note on Nike is, was like, okay, I'll, I'll ask you this as a question. Um, what percentage of Nike's shoes do you think they sell directly to customers without a middleman? So like no Foot Locker, no uh, Champs. So this is like Nike.com or a Nike store. Yeah. Um, direct to consumer. I'm gonna assume. Well, I there are at least two Nike stores here in Vienna, so I would assume it's healthy. But then again, you do have a lot of Nike products and many of these others. So I'm gonna say like, let's say forty percent. That's high. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig this up. So you think? So you think forty percent? I think yes. 40% of Nike products are sold directly by them, either in their stores or online. Okay, you're close. I think it, I think it's turned to be about 30% of their shoes are sold direct to consumers. And the reason why that's important is because it's actually quite rare. Uh, most, oh, yeah. most major brands in clothing or sporting gear don't, some of them don't sell direct to consumer at all. You can only pick them up at department stores or elsewhere. Uh, and two, uh, it's they're unique. So I don't know what Adidas numbers are or what some of the um, the differences um, are between shoe brands. But I do know, yeah, it's thirty five percent of Nike's um, revenue comes from direct to consumer. That's I think it's twelve point five billion dollars i mean it's probably way larger obviously larger than any other um, unless the croc store is doing something that we don't know about but yeah. i think yeah they're, they're probably churning out some good stuff i only i don't know this industry very well i mean look i'm, I'm a guy who buys a pair of shoes every year but uh, my brothers definitely are they're collectors okay and, so they're uh, into the brother, sneaker game oh yeah my yeah. brother tasked me to go buy some yeezys Okay. Um, on on launch day, so I was like going store to store in Vienna, like trying to find these Yeezys, which, in my opinion, are horrible looking shoes. But okay, I, it's, it's because of Kanye West's, uh, I don't know, his design yeah. prowess that these things are popular. <laughs> and every single store I went to, they said, "Not nah, we sold out." I'm like, "You opened 30 minutes ago." 
like, I, yeah, I, but everything was pre-sold and you had to be in the line when we opened up. So I got no Yeezys. I just picture you, total dad moment. You're pushing your daughter around in the stroller. You go into the shoe wear store and you're like, um, hey, do you have um, the Yeezys? Is that how the kids pronounce it these days? <laughs> Actually, that's exactly what happened, but I wasn't pushing her around. I had her on my papoose, uh, you know, in, in front of Is it like the baby Bjorn? Attached. Yeah, the baby Bjorn. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Pierce, Pierce Morgan who always calls it a papoose, and he's totally against these things, so he talks about it a lot. Why is he but, against yeah, it? I, oh, he says it's very emas- uh, emasculating. Is, is that the right word? Emasculating? Yeah, but you get to do stuff because your hands are free. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He says if you're a real man, you carry your baby. Well, yeah, but you can't you can't practice your chipping and your putting at the golf course while you're carrying your can't baby. You, beer. You, need, yeah, you need to answer that beers. Come on. I don't know. I yeah, that that seems to be like one of the things. Apparently, Daniel Craig had a picture online where he was wearing his papoose, and uh, Pierce Morgan was uh, was tr- chirping him all day, which uh, maybe is a British thing. I don't know, but yeah, I had no clue what was going on in this shoe store. And uh, I seem pretty clueless, and definitely I'm late to the game. But Kanye West has his own model for these shoes. I mean, I've I've looked into it a little bit. There have been some stories about his big warehouse or thing, you know, whatever his campus he wants to build out in Wyoming. And uh, the Yeezys are, there's only some in the limited markets, and they only sell like a couple thousand shoes. And look, apparently uh, this is on track to make him a billionaire if he's not already, so... More power to Kanye West, who yeah, good for uh, him. Not he was not, I don't think, on the ballot for 2020, but he sure did try to get on the ballot for 2020 as a presidential <laughs> candidate. He missed a couple ballot applications by like a minute and a half. Like they got yeah, the signatures in like a minute and a half late, and the elections commissioner or whatever they're called was like, ah, oh, nope, it's five oh five oh one. Sorry, bud. Closed. Yeah, sorry for, for Kanye. I guess I'll have to go back to the shoe company. Uh, but uh, he's uh, he's not the only person who've, who's tried to go through the election. We've got uh, the election uh, coming up. And actually, the debate is next week, the first debate uh, between our, our two stewards. We've got the, uh, the man from Wilmington, Delaware, Joe Biden. And uh, I guess Trump is now a Floridian. Uh, they're going to square off in a debate, which I have no clue what to expect. It, will any good policies be discussed? Likely not. This will be no, a I, clash of personalities. I don't know. It's it's going to be a clash of personalities, and Trump's sole goal will be to rile Joe up and try and get him to glitch, and that's it. That's that, to trip he, up. He can, yeah. yeah. Trump can Trump can say whatever he wants. He can actually do a very poor job, but if he can bait Joe into getting mad. And then not sounding like he makes sense, uh, which has been kind of the Republicans' tactics so, so far in terms of analyzing the speeches. Um, I think that's a win for Trump because then he gets to say, which is so strange because Donald Trump says so many crazy things and doesn't make sense all the time and people just laugh it off. But people are genuinely concerned about um, about Vice President Biden's kind of mental fortitude. And so if he can if he can kind of dance around him and get him on his heels a little bit, uh, it could be interesting. However, yeah. Trump, Trump has a good attack line, by the way. I don't know if you've heard this. No. He's talking about how Joe needs to be shot up with adrenaline before the debate. 
Yeah, so I did. There are some words I can't repeat on the radio. Thank no. you, FCC. But uh, he says that he's got to take a big needle. And he's got to eject it yeah. right in the backside, full of adrenaline to get pumped up for that debate. Which is, I think the headline was Trump accuses Biden of using performance enhancing oh, drugs. Oh, God. What is this? Okay. It's like that Russian documentary all over again. Okay. It's like, Mr. Trump, release your taxes. And then, and then Trump goes, okay. Do a blood test. <laughs> Show us that yeah, you're not doping. We'll do a drug test. Oh, my goodness. So yeah. this stuff is liable to, to keep us insane. Uh, we'll definitely provide comment. Hopefully we'll have more on that next week. But since we're thinking positive vibes now, we're, we're trying to transition here. We've got a great interview with a fellow host on the Big Talker Radio Network, Sarah Ald, A-U-L-D. She is an amazingly successful entrepreneur. Uh, she's got a lot of energy and spirit, and uh, she's been tackling problems, I think, from a very positive way. So we're going to go ahead and uh, get the interview ready for her, and uh, it's going to be a nice little chat. And we're here on Consumer Choice Radio on the Big Talker 106.7 FM broadcasting out of Wilmington, North Carolina. And we thought since we broadcast on these airwaves, we might as well highlight one of the great hosts that's also on the station, but someone who's doing great, amazing, positive work throughout the community. Uh, we have Sarah Ald on the program. She is the founder and executive director of Health Possible, a nonprofit that focuses on increasing the societal value of personal and community health both in Wilmington and across the country. She's also host of the Sarah Ald Show here on The Big Talker, Fridays at 6 p.m., and you can catch that on the podcast version. Most of uh, the topics that she covers, we've got health and wellness, time management, leadership, much more. Sarah is awesome because she's focusing on the positive. So Sarah, thanks so much for coming to Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you so much, Consumer Choice Radio, for having me today. This is a very exciting to be with you guys. Well, great to have you here. And, uh, you know, we were able to meet in person there in Wilmington in the studio last week and uh, thought it'd be great to get you on the show and to introduce you a little bit to our listeners so they can understand the work that you're doing. Um, you know, we've, we've had many people from nonprofits on in the past, uh, but you're, you're one who focuses more on positive things and uh, health and wellness. I, you know, what would that have to do with consumer choice, some might ask. But I think if people listen to your program, they'll see that there, there are so many aspects of our daily lives that are churning us in and out. And you kind of focus on a positive way that, that we can deal with that and actually empower people. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so specifically talking on consumer choices. Um, so something that we do at Health Possible is care coordination. So people apply with us for financial aid, and that can be for a scholarship to get wellness healthcare that can also be for a no interest loan. And in doing the financial aid aspect, we also send them to places of their choice. So from personal trainers to registered dietitians to mental health counselors, um, and we align them with the professionals who really uh, focus on their specific need. And through that, we give them a set, hour, a set amount of hours per month that they attend care, um, and we truly turn their life around through doing this. Um, but of course, is there a choice to be there, right? They're motivated, they want to make a difference, they might be in the lowest low of their life, um, and they're trying to come out of it. They're dedicated to, to having a better uh, quality and quantity of life. So that's our goal at Health Possible. And, and, and what yeah, does ahead, that David. look like, uh, what does that look like given 
everything that's going on. I know a lot of people have speculated about the the kind of unseen cost of COVID-19. Obviously, that's not to downplay the kind of tragic nature of the pandemic and the lives lost there, but some people have started to talk about the mental health impact, the overall health impact of things like lockdowns and people being at home and not being able to see family or do other things. How is that impacting what you're seeing uh, in terms of when you're, you're working with people and, and connecting with them? Yeah, so it really impacted, of course, the social aspect, right? So we as humans, we're, we're meant to be healthy and positive in communities, right? So when you take that community aspect away, you've kind of taken away the entire core of our business, which is setting people up with the right people around them who help them reach positive goals, um, kind of getting rid of these toxic parts of their life. So it did harm us in um, the, the, you know, removing the social aspect. And it was pretty wild, actually. Our costs went through the roof for mental health. That was another biggest thing that we did notice. Um, we, have, we had already had six active clients at the time on scholarships. Um, and I want to say, if I remember correctly, five of which are on full rides. Um, another one, not on a full ride, but regardless, the costs that we were distributing before the pandemic were pretty even uh, between fitness, nutrition, and actually mental health was the lightest cost that we had before the pandemic. Once the pandemic hit and we got about a month and a half into it, all of a sudden it was like every single person almost needed a mental health counselor, or at least if they needed, if it was a few people that needed one, they needed one much more often than they did prior mental health also happens to be one of the most expensive forms of wellness health care that we see. So um, definitely drove the cost up for that. And I think a lot of that has to do with the removal of that social aspect I touched on. Yeah, we can't get uh, together at restaurants anymore. We're limited in how many people can kind of go out in public. I mean, everyone's got to wear a mask. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely trying. Um, in terms of your own backgrounds, what, have, what sort of led you to this kind of new entrepreneurial journey? Because uh, you're on the radio here on The Big Talker, you have that in podcast form, uh, but sort of what is your, your own story and why you're interested in this stuff? Yeah, it's so hard to make that short and sweet. Honestly, I'm sure every entrepreneur uh, thinks and says that, but um, it's kind of like founders. I'm sure you guys have heard this before in the founding world, but um, founders create in their life kind of an antidote for their own background and their own history, right? So when I grew up, I had my first cash flow job when I was 12 years old, and I worked my entire life, of course, to this day. I've had more cash flow jobs um, today than years I've been alive. I'm 27 years old right now, and that's not from being fired. That's not from, you know, not being comfortable. It's just from constantly having to do whatever was possible to make ends meet in my life. Um, my family did experience a 2008 recession in the worst way. We did go bankrupt. Well, I guess not the worst. We were still eating and had a mattress, right? But um, but my family did experience bankruptcy at that time. Um, and through that, I watched my parents kind of give up their entire livelihood. My dad spent his 20s and 30s a marathon runner. Um, my mom loved to garden, always fed us meals of fresh vegetables from outside. And then uh, working, you know, 16, 20 hours a day, both of them taking care of our family. My dad became this sedentary truck driver. I just watched them give up their whole life and it really uh, hit home for me to try to contribute and help a contributing member of society. My parents never took on, uh, I mean, of course the bankruptcy is not the best, you know, thing to utilize in comparison to this, but 
Um, they did not take on government assistance. And as a child, that's all I really noticed. And that I really admired that from them. And I felt that, you know, if my family can pull together and do this and make this happen, keep food in the fridge and, you know, keep our house over our head, then I can make sure other people, you know, don't lose out on their marathon running, the things they enjoy, the things that keep them mentally well. There was so much more that came with that, you know, on site back then than just being broke, um, the hardship. So I really wanted to give that back. I never wanted to see anybody go through what my parents went through again. And I truly believe that when people are in hard times, if you just take care of yourself, if you put yourself first for a little while, you're much better equipped to take care of the rest of the people around you. That includes your whole community from an economic standpoint. So that's kind of my background and where I come from and where the initial thought process of Health Possible came from. It was after that that I became a personal trainer and wanted to focus much more on you know, people who couldn't afford the service. Um, and that kind of gave me the detail of the model of the business. Already had a passion to give back, uh, given my family background and then becoming a personal trainer, focusing on people who couldn't afford personal training, knowing it was really like a life coaching lesson for a lot of these people and was so life-changing for them. Um, we developed the concept of fundraising for fitness, nutrition, mental health care, combining them. Uh, and that's really the only way that we could pursue this kind of thing. Health insurance doesn't cover these things a lot of the time. So it's kind of a whole mix. <laughs> so what's interesting about the fitness side of things is that in many ways, if we look at healthcare more broadly, it's like it's the most important proactive step one can take. And if you, I think the biggest criticism of the healthcare system in the United States is that it's very reactive. It's very, oh, I have this problem, therefore I need to go to the doctor or what have you. And so I think that the, the, the fitness side of things is, is very important, especially for people who don't think that they can afford it. Um, on the life coaching side of things, walk us through what that looks like, the type of people whom you're, you're traditionally working with. Are they people who've never been active before uh, and never really approached fitness from kind of a proactive uh, perspective? Or are they people who have maybe lost their way as they got busy with a career? Um, how does that look like? Yeah, it's different for everybody. One of our really big core values at Health Possible is that we meet people where they are, right? No one's coming to us with the same starting block and no one has the same end goal either, right? And the really cool part, I think people sometimes even make a face a little bit when I tell them, you know, the number of clients that we've had over a few years, it, it seems pretty small, you know, at a glance, um, but the things we do for those individual people are very extreme, very large. I mean, it takes a lot of focus to focus on one person at what we do. So, so when people come to us, they may have never attempted in their life before. Um, a lot of them, you know, may have a problem where they're at highs and lows and we're trying to get them to a medium ground forevermore, uh, habitual change, right? So we'll have people like, we had one client who was sober from being an addict for years and years um, and, and we're trying to find that person, the medium even still. And now he is a, an amazing runner. He just ran a 20K for the first time in his life. The man's down 50 pounds. Uh, he's in his 50s, right? And his goal is actually to now become a personal trainer and train other people. So it's a, the give back is kind of the end goal for him. And, and so many of these people, um, we have another woman who is a single mom came to us a previous basketball athlete. She grew up an athlete. I, I visited her new home recently. She had pictures on the wall of her playing basketball at a 
uh, high school here in town and she was so fit. And she came to us with the goal to lose probably close to 50 plus pounds. Um, she's down 25 and a little over 25. And she was on government assistance, living in government housing, um, working at uh, the Boys and Girls Club just essentially to ensure her daughter could eat and be taken care of every day. Uh, grow a little confidence, you know, people might look at it as just taking weight off the person sometimes, but really we made this person so confident she walked away from her part-time job, went and got a full-time job in New Hanover County, keeping kids out of juvenile hall, disqualified for food stamps, sends me pictures of her extravagant meals every night. And she just bought her first apartment uh, last week and moved out of project housing. So we're so proud of her too, right? And, and these people's goals, again, look different all the time. They may come from her background, fit in high school, hit a low point in life, something tragic happens, um, or it could be something they've been dealing with forever. It's yeah. really never the same story, which is also what's so cool and marketable about it. I think one uh, one aspect that, I mean, we're mostly discussing regulations and policy on this program affecting consumers. And mm -hmm. one thing that we always notice is that, you know, we're, we do have a big narrative on self-reliance and independence. Um, but, you know, this is one that's that's fairly unique to the United States. You don't really have these kind of um, community programs necessarily that will be privately funded in other countries. And you don't see this kind of level of charity necessarily. We hear it all the time every time there's a tsunami or some hurricane in um, some country very far away, and the number of Americans will bound together and donate to, uh, yeah, who knows, the Red Cross or whatever organization is always astounding. And you, you don't really see that in many other countries. And, and still, there's, there's a lot more need for that in the United States. Could you tell us about this aspect of, of sort of, you know, there's certain aspects that government regulation will try to fix or try to structure, uh, but what about those cracks of, of people who can't be reached or, you know, people who might be in between particular positions? Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because a lot of the times I think, and I truly believe nonprofits will uh, they will find themselves um, trying to do what they believe the government should have done for people. Um, that's often why nonprofits open. They think the government is lacking and they need to do something in place of that. And really what a nonprofit is for, in my opinion, um, is that we are you know, community focused on the place that we're at, providing some kind of quality care. And I think we actually do a disservice to our communities when there's not mass education behind it, right? So there's these gaps and people hard to reach. Um, and those are the people we as nonprofits, of course, hope to find. And at the same time, we don't want them living off government assistance. We don't want them dependent on us forever. There's so many negative things about our system that make it too easy to stay on that assistance. It's too comfortable, you know? I had a very um, direct section of my show, I wanna say just a few weeks ago on my podcast, and I said, you know, honest question, crazy talk. Um, is it crazy to think that people receiving straight checks from, you know, whether it's welfare or so forth to be doing, should they be doing community service in exchange for, for these finances? You know, having to do some kind of thing that maybe A, keeps people off the street in a impoverished, you know, maybe more violent area or um, teaches them new skills, gives them more positive social circles, uh, take some burden off of our tax dollars and community in exchange for them receiving, you know, again, those tax dollars and money from the working people. There's a lot of aspects to this question. It's really hard for me to even 
narrow in on one part, but um, <laughs> I really think that as a nonprofit in a small community, we're here to deliver quality care. I'm personally not here to do a job I thought the government was supposed to do. Um, I'm actually trying to remove people from government assistance in the long haul and make sure that we need less and less of that moving forward and that starts in the home. So we find those people, we start in the home. Again, I don't think it's something, you know, our government can do all by itself. People love right now to say, you know, it shouldn't be a cop's job to do the social work, the mental health work, the cop work, all, the, all these things. There's a little aspect of that that's true to every area in every position, you know, how many things can you do? And for me, you know, I find my job, my purpose to be finding these people and doing this one thing that keeps them off our system. And that's what we as our nonprofit are doing. We're not a hand, we're not a hand out, we're a hand up. That's how and, I see it. And what's it like when people kind of break free of that dependency trap in terms of oh the God. clients you're working with? What's their perspective on it? Oh, they love it. And they're so confident. It's so cool to see. And I tweeted this the other day. It is amazing to me. It really comes down to, you would not believe how many people in life just simply needed somebody or still do need somebody to believe in them, period. How many people in this world, you know, don't get some kind of attention that they cared about the most and I mean, people come in my office and I just tell them that they can do it and they're going to do it. And I'm really on their team. And they're so shocked. Like no one's ever said that to them before. And just the glow that comes to their face, like they just came to life for the first time in 10 years. It's like, has nobody ever just patted you on the back and said, you already made it this far? I mean, you just, it's only up from here. Like you walked into the right office and I just, yeah, the confidence that comes off of becoming less dependent, they don't want to be. They don't not all of them even know they don't want to be. Another really hard conversation that we have, I, I don't think I'm brutally honest, I think I'm just really direct and I'm compassionate at the same time. I sit people down and I say, what if I told you that being on government assistance and inclusively now getting financial aid from Health Possible, which we want to give to you, but we want you to earn it, right? But what if I told you that takes away your control of your life? Right, let's put that in perspective. And they're kind of like, what do you mean? Like, I'm in control of my life and I, I, and I do a little education of, no, you're not. Your food is dictated by the stamp. Where you live is dictated by this rent. What you do is dictated by all of these things that you can take control back over and you're about to because you're in my office and we're gonna make sure you don't need it anymore, but all of a sudden you have choice in life. Every time you become dependent on these things, you give up choice. So let's get you off and give that back to you. Don't you want to choose what you buy at the grocery store every day? And they're kind of like never thought about it that in depth. And that's a really big, like gunshot start of the track, let's go kind of moment for them. And it's a hard conversation for me to have. It never gets easier, but I do have it almost every single time because I'm there to let them know Health Possible is not your financial aid forever. It's just your financial aid for right now. What are you gonna do with it? We're speaking with free. Sarah Ald, uh, by the way, sorry to cut you off. Uh, you can oh, follow her on sorry. Twitter, at Sarah Ald, A-U-L-D. Uh, Sarah, let us know about your other projects or plans and also how we can find out more about Health Possible and, and kind of other ways that our community can engage with you. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Do you want me to tell you right now? Oh yeah, go ahead. Hit, hit us with your uh, bad shot. Okay. 
Okay, healthpossibleinc.org is our website. You can call us or text us at 910-800-0287. Uh, my name is Sarah Ald. You can find us on all social media handles, Health Possible Inc. or HPI.org. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can follow me as well. Wonderful. Okay, and uh, definitely we'll direct that. We'll link to that in all of our show notes and everything else. Uh, Sarah, it was great having you on. Obviously a big talker personality uh, throughout the week. You can catch her show Fridays at six here on the big talker, 1067 FM. Uh, David, I think, uh, I think Sarah gave us something to really think about here for the future, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, some great perspective for our listeners. I think, I mean, Yael and I, I spend a lot of time complaining about uh, government policy and regulations and all of these things. So it's nice to talk to someone who is out there actually uh, making that difference in the community. So obviously, thank you for that. Thank you for joining us on the program today. Thank you so much, JL and David. I appreciate you guys. Welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM. Great interview with Sarah Ald. You guys can check out her program here on The Big Talker Fridays at 6. We'll link to all of her information as well. Awesome, insightful conversation. It's cool to see someone who's actually doing some very positive work on the ground locally in Wilmington, North Carolina, where this show is broadcast, but also helping out nationally. Good positive vibes, David. I, I'm, I'm feeling uh, pretty positive and I'm feeling good. Uh, just had another shot of coffee. Yeah. Um, I hope the next thing you're bringing to the table is going to make me cheer and smile. It's not. It's okay. Not. Well, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw this out and go get a Red Bull. Okay. Yeah, it's not. Um, so real quick on the Canadian side of politics, yesterday was the throne speech, which is kind of like a state of the union, if I were to compare it. Uh, but it's not actually given by the prime minister. Uh, and the prime minister then requested national all the national broadcasters to cover his press conference at 6.30 in the evening uh, to address the nation, uh, which is common in the U.S., uh, but is very, very rare in Canada. So the last time it was done was under Stephen Harper during the financial crisis, and everyone said that it was inappropriate for him, for him to do that. The previous time before that was during the FLQ crisis in Quebec when separatist terrorists were blowing up mailboxes and kidnapping diplomats and killing them and all sorts of crazy things. So it's usually the bar is set usually very high that the, the prime minister, if he's addressing the nation, like the president would, it would be like a post 9-11 moment or something quite serious. And he just rambled on about all sorts of crazy spending uh, proposals for the government and they basically duped all the major networks into reconfiguring their programming to cover the prime minister to just go over stale platform uh, promises. So it's just an absolute nightmare. And I think the consensus from everybody here was like, wait, what? Why do we, we wasted a lot of time listening to this guy. So. Uh, yeah, because if I understand, the throne speech is usually given, you know, once you've been elected and you've got your mandate, you're just kind of like defining what is going to be your policy for the next, you know, whatever term or years. Yeah. And so this that's is kind of strange because the last election was like what? Was that 2019? Or 
last year? Yeah. So yeah, anymore. when the liberals won a minority. So it it, it happens when and, and what happens is if the prime minister doesn't give the speech, they write the speech and the speech is given by the governor general, who's the queen's representative. All sounds very strange. Um, but yeah, it outlines the government's priorities. That's well and good. That's normal business. But it's very strange for the prime minister to address the nation. And it's even stranger that he told networks that, hey, guys, I need this time. I'm not going to use it to like talk about party politics. I'm actually I need to address the nation. So like some people mm. thought maybe he was going to resign, like <laughs> elections coming up. Yeah, or like he was going to call a snap election, which he could have done. But no, he just used it to talk about a pharma care plan and a universal child care plan and the government's plan to make a million, to create a million jobs, retrofitting houses. It was like, all, it wasn't quite as insane as the Green New Deal, but it was pretty close. Mm. It was pretty close. So not good. Were there any digs, were there any digs at sort of um, how stuff's happening in the U.S. or policy? The reason I bring that up is I saw one criticism of more Trudeau is that here's a guy who's the leader of a, of a country of, what, 35 million people. Mm-hmm. And he actually tweeted about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying like before many American leaders. Yeah, <laughs> it's strange. Yeah, so there weren't too many digs on, on U.S. policy. But U.S. policy did come up uh, in the context of testing. So. Okay. Because Trudeau requested this time, all of the opposition leaders were then guaranteed like five minutes or whatever. And Aaron O'Toole, who's the leader of the conservatives, who gave his address from home while having COVID, um, which what is a trooper. Yeah. Uh, basically, immediately starts off with none of, none of these plans matter unless we can actually get rapid testing. We rely on the United States and Germany and Japan for our national security, but for some reason, Health Canada won't approve their rapid COVID tests. Like, what type of nonsense is this? Okay, uh, that's pretty directed and good, I think. Yeah, which know? for me is great. Like, and, and I mean, I, I'm a, a junkie for this stuff, so I'm following it all day. But one of the major commentators was like, yeah, that's a pretty good point because what good is the national childcare plan for before and after school care or whatever it is, if your kids have to wait four plus hours in line to get a test and then three to four days to know the results, like Mm. they're not going to even be able to go to school or daycare, right? As soon as you have that exposure, boom, you're in 14 day quarantine and you spend the first four or five days waiting for your test results. Uh, So the fact that we don't have that 15 minute rapid saliva test is crazy. The fact that we don't have the ability to get at home tests is also crazy. So I should be able to just fill out a form and say, I think I have symptoms or I think I was exposed. Here's my address, boom, send me the test and then it arrives in the mail. Um, That way I don't even have to go anywhere to get tested. I don't have to go and stand in line and put other people at risk. I can just do it at home. Okay, I see it, it says negative. All right, well, okay, I can go to the grocery store or I can go to work. Um, It'd be like a 23 and me type test, you know, just throw your slide in there, quick results. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're good to go. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure. I saw one article. Um, this is from it's view from the wing. So it's more of like a travel industry blog. Yep. Um, but, but it's about testing at airports. And just now, what are we? September. One of this things start, January, February, 
just now they're they're going to offer COVID testing at certain airports, specifically San Francisco to Hawaii, uh, because Hawaii is uh, because they're an island. You know they have a bit stricter rules, and people need to have a negative test in order to avoid the two week quarantine. And that's like the first example that I know of where they even have testing at airports. Uh, I went through I. I guess I didn't talk about it on the show last week because I was traveling, but I tried to do a test in North Carolina. I looked around for a rapid test. It was really hard. You know, there were a couple clinics where I could call. You know, they had urgent care places where I could maybe schedule it, but sometimes it would be two-day results and and five-day results, and apparently many of them you were not able to get tested unless you had symptoms. So it's like in order to travel, I had almost fake symptoms of having the thing everyone's afraid of having. Yeah, which really and, doesn't make any sense. So I understand there may be shortages in, in some jurisdictions, but anyone who wants a test should be able to get it because if you can catch asymptomatic cases, that's how you're really going to stop the spread, right? Because I could have COVID right now and be completely asymptomatic and not know, and then go to a family member's house or go to the grocery store, go to a restaurant, go to any other indoor setting where there could be some risk. If I were to be able to get a test and know the results quickly, I immediately erase a lot of that risk. So it's that I've always, that's always found, I've always found that to be quite peculiar. It's like, well, no, we, we, we know that there's a vast majority of people who are asymptomatic we want to know who they are yeah so that's crazy we have direct consumer you know so many other things but the fact that we don't have these tests i know it's ad nauseum we're still talking about this stuff but you know most of us are just trying to snap back into reality snap back to reality that's all we're trying to do and if we don't have good testing and if the rules change every other day uh, some of our colleagues david are are trying to go over to germany yes and uh, the rules just change for the week uh, apparently, people from uh, this part of the uh, of the of the European continent and Austria apparently, I think we're not allowed to go anymore, and and other countries are putting on restrictions, and everyone's all these waves, and I I hope that we can still trumpet, and I think I hope that we can still have free travel, um, and keep that as a principle. Um, if we you know go into a a new normal, sorry hashtag. If we go into a new normal where travel won't be as open as it used to be, I think that's bad. I think you're probably going to have more, I guess, hardships and, and harm from that kind of regime than, than you ever would have from a, a kind of whatever paranoia we're living in right now. Yeah, and, and, and this is the thing is that if we want to have any resemblance of normal, so we have contact tracing apps they let you know via bluetooth if you've if if someone you've been around is exposed so in theory if everybody has these you could get you could get several alerts over the course of 5 or 6 months without good testing you're you're taking 2 weeks at home every time that happens every time you get the buzz on your phone that says you are actually in the same place at the same time as someone who's recently tested positive for COVID. And so that, I mean, in terms of just a sheer productivity issue, the, the, the issue of, okay, well, that's two weeks. I mean, imagine being a teacher and one of your, your, your kids has COVID. So boom, you're at your home for two weeks. 
you can't get a test. It takes three to four days. You get a test. You then see that you're negative. So you go back to work. You're back to teaching kids. Great. Three weeks later, another kid in the school gets COVID. Boom, you're back at home in the testing backlog again. When in reality, she could, she or he or she could do a COVID test on the day of being notified and know right away, oh, I don't have COVID, so I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I mean, one just, thing they're doing here is, um, and I think it's kind of innovative, is they're doing this group testing. I don't know if you've heard of this, where they, they just take like essentially a bucket, everybody spits in the bucket, and they <laughs> test the whole thing. I'm not kidding. This is, <laughs> this is how they're doing it in the schools here. And, uh, you know, in the morning I walk by, uh, whenever I'm walking my daughter, I walk by one of the high schools here and, you know, everyone's in there not wearing masks and everything. And they have to spit into some kind of tube, some kind of big bucket. They test the saliva. And if anybody's got COVID, then I, I don't know exactly what they are. Maybe everybody does classes from home, you know, for the next two weeks or something, or they, uh, order additional tests for, for whomever, but uh, that seems to be more the thing is we're, we're going to do like a group testing sort of model and then everyone's in the clear. There, I mean, is... ideally, they have it set up so everybody can get tested. Everything's good. Then you can hang out at the bar. You can get your drinks. You can go to the restaurant. Yeah. And all is good. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> this is not the, the most glamorous thing to talk about, but there's also another way to do group testing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Oh, I, I think I know where you're going here. You're going down a dark alley. Uh, it's to, to test the poop. Um, yeah. So researchers have been able to basically see, have been able to test sewage and they can, if by testing sewage, they can see where the outbreaks are going to come from because they can, mm. they can pick up the virus in the, the waste um, and be able to, uh, and be able to basically say, Oh, okay, well this community there's a lot of people who have COVID who, or, or this community there isn't. Um, so there's all, there's other weird and not very nice ways to, to test for COVID as well. But I mean, at the end well, of the hey, day. There's, yeah. Yeah. There's innovation though. That's good. Yes. Some things are new. Some things are happening. Some things are hot. Um, speaking of that, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about before we close out on the mic here on the big talker, one six seven FM um, and something that's been in the back of my mind, and I don't really know how to commentate on this much more because it's like a business thing, is whatever's happening with TikTok. TikTok. Yes. Uh, your Zoomer kids at home will know all about this. Uh, but TikTok has signed some, sign of, some kind of weird deal whereby a U.S. TikTok will now exist that is partly owned by Oracle. Mm -hmm. uh, they do a lot of cloud computing. And your favorite uh, large retailer, Walmart. Yeah, and, very uh, weird. Apparently, the deal was greenlit. You know, maybe from the U.S. side, I, we don't know what the Chinese, but yeah, this is a it's a confusing time. And then you got the mix of the Chinese Communist Party. David, I don't know what to think anymore, man. This is it's all over the place. Well, so for a long time, these companies and the government in China have said that oh well, we're separate entities, right? It's 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 misguiding to say that there's overlap between ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok and the Chinese Communist Party. And what was funny in the original conversations about the sale of TikTok's US operations to a US company, the Chinese government went in to block it on IP issues. 
And so they said, well, we're not going to let you have the IP for TikTok. And I mean, immediately for anybody listening, the government is saying we aren't going to let the U.S. have the IP for TikTok. And it's like, but two months ago, you said it was ByteDance's IP and they're ready yeah. to sell it. So oh, it's even more. It's it's the algorithm. And yeah. it's like a national security secret of how these videos pop and you get recommendations about people doing the latest dance. Well, exactly. And that's the thing that makes, I mean, that kind of exposed the man behind the curtain because immediately it was very clear that the communist party has a active vested interest in um, the, the continuation of bite dance and the, intellectual property that goes with it. And what's strange there, and I use this as a comparison, if you draw a comparison to US companies, the US, com the US government doesn't get, doesn't get the algorithm to how Facebook filters your news. Uh, Lord, no. The US government wouldn't, if, if Facebook were to sell its European operation to a company in Europe, the U.S. government wouldn't say, well, no, we own the intellectual property on that algorithm. That would never happen. And in many instances, these companies actively fight back against the U.S. government when they do try and encroach on backdoors and algorithms and all of those things. So really, really strange. I have no idea why Oracle would want TikTok. Um, well, they want to get into the consumer-facing digital game a bit, maybe. And TikTok now, I mean, I I don't know how I forget their revenue, how much they're making with ads and all this stuff, but it's it's a big uh, big company. Yeah, uh, I mean, a it's lot one of concerns those... with those connections to the CCP. But one thing I saw on Twitter real quick, uh, it turns out TikTok US is going to be sponsoring a NASCAR. Oh, okay, they're going full American. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're going to be on the number six. Uh, Camaro. Uh, the the driver is Ryan Vargas. This is in the Xfinity series, so kind of the uh, the beta league, you know, the the next to, to the top uh, cup league. Six races, Talladega to Phoenix, a TikTok U.S. car reaching those those Southerners who uh, love NASCAR. Can you just picture like the executive room? They're like, "All right, guys, so we're moving to the we're, the U.S. operation is separating. What's the most American thing we can do?" Let's sponsor, Hot dogs. Let's sponsor nope. a NASCAR team. NASCAR. <laughs> that is good, Woo. Great idea, Woo. Yeah. Let's go to the next step. <laughs> wow. Good for okay. that. Okay. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, good for that. I mean, yeah. ideally, we can... The whole problem with this issue, and we've talked about it ad nauseum, is about the CCP and the, the connection to the Chinese Communist Party, the information. I know there was a New York Times story earlier this week where... There's actually like a huge database now that people have found out, uh, social media, that uh, a lot of Chinese Communist Party have put many Americans and Canadians and Europeans on this kind of list where they're kind of tracking and watching yep. uh, what people are doing. So, you know, if they already have that on, on TikTok, I don't know. This is all going to be very complicated and complex. Uh, hopefully we'll have some clarity on this, but... Uh, I think that does it for us, David. It's been a great program. It was great to have Sarah Ald on on the radio. That was great to be mm -hmm. able to chat with her. Very positive vibes there before we got into the mess of what's happening up there up north. But uh, another great show with you. 
And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio here on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. And as always, if you are listening online through your favorite podcast app, we appreciate that. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast uh, and follow us on Twitter at Consumer C Radio. Uh, Thanks again.